Welcome to Times Talk, the podcast where we dig a little deeper into the issues facing Malta right now. I'm Vanessa Keneally. On this episode... There's only one Maltese coat of arms in all of Valletta. One. Do you know where it is? Under the bum of Queen Victoria. As countries around the world debate the future of public monuments, we speak to two historians in Malta with opposing views about what should happen here. And made me live history from the German point of view. We meet the Maltese man who found a stash of letters hidden in an antique he bought at auction, written by an Austrian soldier reluctantly fighting under Hitler. protesters in the British city of Bristol, tearing down a statue of 17th century slave trader Edward Colston and throwing it into a river last month. The demonstrators were part of the Black Lives Matter movement, which reignited its rallies across the US and beyond in response to the death of George Floyd, who was killed by police. But does removing public monuments help heal historical wounds? Or should they remain as a reminder of the challenges of the past? It's something being discussed everywhere right now, including in Malta. So we invited historians Charles Sherweb and Matthew Cousins into the Times Talk studio to debate the matter. So Charles, let's start with you. Can you explain some of the more, just talk our listeners through some of the more controversial statues and monuments that are in Malta today? Let's stick mostly to Valletta. We focus on Valletta because in Valletta there are about 30 uh, monuments and about 20 of them belong to the British period and were mostly put up, erected by the British themselves as a way of propaganda. And what years are we talking about, just to give a context? Yes, um, the most, uh, the monument, which is in the news mostly, is the Queen Victoria Monument. Uh, which happens to be in Republic Square. Somebody wanted to put a joke on this because they called Republic Square much more recently, since 1974, whereas the Victoria Monument was erected in 1891. It was erected by the British Colonial Office mandate, and one statue like that was everywhere else in the British Empire. But uh, I would advise that Victoria from Valletta should move And in this case, I would advise that she would be very happy to sit somewhere in Gozo before you enter Victoria. Because (laughs) Victoria, at that same period in the 1890s, was given the name Victoria. Simon, what do you think? Do you think that it's better for tourists or even us that live here to walk around, see Queen Victoria there scowling at us? outside the library and remind and remind us what 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 Malta was well Queen, Vict- Queen Victoria uh, through the ages um, first of all I acknowledge took the place of another statue which had uh, connections to Malta um, Elena. Uh, Grandmaster de Villena was one of the grandmasters of the night yeah, we've heard Charles explain that it may be appropriate to recontextualize her. And I say, hold on a minute. 
I take one step back now because we don't have to go very far back. She was the queen of Malta. Let's uh, start with that. And the Empress of India. The, the, forget. The, the, the Grandmaster de Vilena had uh, no connection with Malta other than leading an order that relocated. Charles, you don't agree? From, uh, oh, well, I mean, Vilena, Manuel de Vilena is remembered very, very we much have, in Valletta with the Manuel Theatre. We have a great <laughs> legacy. However, I'm talking about direct connections between the personalities that we are uh, emulating and uh, and a connection with Malta. Now, Queen Victoria was the queen of Malta. She is depicted in her statue wearing a particular um, style of Maltese or Gossetin lace. Aesthetics. Um, she... But she never wore. Well... Did she sit for this statue? Like This, no. this is yeah. not... I mean, this was a copy, you know, I from see. the colonial office. And um, the queen of Victoria of all the colonies look alike. So we have we have two relations with Malta. I I, I agree with Charles, one hundred percent that there was an element of public space invasion, if you like, let's say polit political propaganda. Uh, propaganda. I agree wholeheartedly. But as they are still there as, as a, a proud as a proud sovereign Maltese that I am, I'm extremely proud of Malta's independence in 1964. It gives me great satisfaction to look at all these colonial and pre-colonial and other colonial, non-British colonial relics that dot our our island. So Majority you, you are British in Valletta. Eh? Well, we have there we are have, no non-colonial humans. You know, we have French relics, which which was another empire. Um, There's one. Well, never mind. La Vallette, for no, 50 years late. No, it, it was the, erected in, in 201. The point, the point here is every Maltese, every proud independent Maltese can look back. And despite all these propaganda efforts, Malta today stands as an independent nation, shoulder to shoulder with other nations in the world. Yes. Uh, I disagree with him on almost all counts. Obviously, this is a debate and uh, I believe in that. But you can't make sense of the present without understanding the past. History, contemporary history, is no longer a fossilized version of what happened once and now we close it in a book. Today, history is more, instead of traditional event-centered history writing, today we try to look at it from a broadening of the event's former meaning Events are constantly being reinterpreted with new meanings attributed to them as the social situation is changing. In the States today, what they are fighting for, especially the Black Lives Matter, they are fighting for equality, for freedom, and for opportunity. Mostly that. And what are these three tenets of, you can call them philosophical, but they are very social. They are the same tenets of the French Revolution. The difference is that in 1789, it was the real heads of humans that were decapitated. Now, at least a more civilized world population is removing statues. There is one point about Queen Victoria, which we must not forget. Why is she there? My friend Simon was speaking about its place there, almost belonging there. Like you look at it as my queen for many reasons. One, 
in her very long reign, she was 64 years, she never visited Malta. So we can't even say, remember her being there, sitting and having coffee, because she never Wearing her bothered to come here. <laughs> Number two, when her aunt, Queen Adelaide, in 1842-46, asked her for some funds to build the Anglican Cathedral for British servicemen, she refused. In Malta. She said, in Malta, which is in Valletta today, St. Paul's, she refused. She said she has no money for her own service men in the Navy, Army, etc. And in 1901, about three, four weeks after she died, she passed away, there were 23 arrests of Maltese who, were, who threw silver nitrate on her head as a protest because the governor of the day did not allow political meetings in Valletta. But one of the worst insults which we endure to this very day in Valletta is that Malta's, while there are six British royal insignia around the palace in Valletta, there's only one Maltese coat of arms in all of Valletta, one. Do you know where it is? Where? Under the bum of Queen Victoria on the famous pedestal that Simon was so nostalgic about a few minutes ago. It's an insult. And Simon, I still believe she has to remove. Yes. To be removed. From. Okay. Okay. And Simon, you you get strength from looking as you feel like you as a small island defeated a massive empire when you look at that statue. This, to me, is preserving the context, which for me is the antithesis of Charles's idea of recontextualizing. Not my I, idea, I am against, it's an international uh, yes, discipline, academic I, discipline. I am, I am against any attempts to modify, to change, to interfere with a context. Now, we are reasonable people here, we, we live in the civilized world. There is a danger of recontextualization, particularly when it is in the domain of barbarians. We know, for example, how the Taliban recontextualized the Buddhas of, of uh, Bamiyan. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, right, a statue is seen as something that immortalizes a person. You know, can, can it immortalizes also a snapshot of time in its context? But do you think that petrified? But do you think okay? We'll say, for example, you have thousands of tourists will have passed that that uh, millions. Yes, that statue of Queen Victoria that we're discussing. How many will have actually read about it and read about? The, put it in context. context. It's, you know, when, when tourists come to Malta, they come for an experience. Now, uh, some are history buffs, some are not. I would say the greater part are not. I believe, totally I, not I believe, believe that system. any recontextualization could form part, say, in a plaque beside the uh, the statue. Recontextualization. Where, where you are, you are not touching. Okay. Uh, the exhibit. And You're like, coming with me. Like when nice. you go to an archaeological museum, you see the item in a certain context, and then you have an explanation. So rather we than, don't see that in Malta. Rather before, than yeah. erase 
that that context. Lifting the send it to Gozo. Maybe Comino is better. Charles, I think. No, no, no. Gozo is called more, Victoria. She'll go more remote no. in Comino. No, 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 no. It's, it's more appropriate. It has nothing to do with Comino, <laughs> but Victoria, Rabat is called no. Victoria. No, I, I out be. of their own volition, being patriotic is not old-fashioned. No. Especially in a former colony where our minds have been manipulated so much mm. over two centuries that even today in 2020 the Maltese still have a colonial mentality like which means that we think that we think that our former masters were superior to us and you can even say it today we have Boris Johnson the prime minister in England in the UK only two three days ago at the beginning of July saying giving us an example that we don't want, the British don't want to become obese like the Maltese. Why? Because when, while we are suffering from inferiority towards our former masters, our former masters still suffer from superiority towards us. I mean, if you put everything into context, you will see that what is happening today has nothing to do with history teaching or how to look at history. We're talking about colonialism. The, the, the Floyd, the George Floyd movement, uh, which has erupted the whole world over, came because of slavery, came because of racism. But who are the parents? Who is the father of slavery and racism? Colonialism. I'm very proud to walk around and look for a French relic or a British relic or a megalithic relic of our history. And I don't need anybody to recontextualize it. I want to see it in its original crude form. And I feel everybody has this duty or rather has this privilege. And our duty as, as lovers of history or uh, you know, citizens, call it what you like, uh, it's our duty, our responsibility to leave uh, for forthcoming generations what we found as it was and let them do their uh, discovery and their interpretation. I agree with Simon on this point that Valletta monuments, Valletta is the most important because it's the capital city and in the capital city everybody embodies uh, identity, must represent all the varied checkered history of Valletta and Malta and not an overwhelming presence of British propaganda monuments. Wouldn't you or our listeners agree that to show that Britain was in Valletta, there is, if you have six large insignias, one will do. Should you leave the other five surrounding the president of the Republic of Malta? It's an insult even to the office of the president. Not, in, not, even, not even in Britain itself. You have so many effigies in London, for example, compared to the population, compared to the number of monuments. It's, it's, the, the mentality is wrong. We have to change one. the mentality. Okay. You have a historian in Simon. But his ideas, if you teach those ideas to our students, can you ever have a real, independent, Mediterranean identity for Malta? Okay. No, it will remain colonial.
Okay, quick response. Either of, us, balanced presence either of us have a viewpoint, <laughs> have a bias, and this limited angle of vision is only for a blink of an eyelid in time. So I say, let's stay on the side of safety, let's preserve everything fridge. as it is, and let future generations learn and experience what we experience. With their own and books come, and with their own doctrine. Come to their own, we can put little tablets to interpret, yes, but let's preserve the actual relic and let's leave it as it is. Okay, gentlemen, thank you for that very lively thank debate. Thank you for the opportunity. Still to come, the beautifully written letters of an Austrian soldier fighting in Stalingrad in World War II, discovered by a Maltese man and his son. At the times of Malta, we know this is a difficult period for everyone and we're feeling it too. We're doing our best to bring you the most factual information every day and put pressure on authorities to answer all of your questions and more. But independent journalism costs money and we need your help. Please go to www.timesofmalta forward slash donate and give as little as two euro. Thank you. The night is always spent outdoors in the field. Everyone always digs in to be safe from the shell fragments. The vivid words of Friedrich Bauer, an unter-officer of the 6th German Army, penned from Stalingrad, where he was stationed between 1941 and 1942. The letter was written to his family in Vienna and among 70 documents found by John Edward de Macaulay. John and his son Leighton made the discovery while cleaning a German statue they bought at an auction here in Malta last year. They spent months having the documents translated, as well as piecing together Friedrich's experiences before he was among 85,000 soldiers who died at the bloody battle. I bought an antique uh, German bisque statue at an auction in Malta a year ago, and I had no idea uh, that there was something hidden inside of it. <laughs> So, so you and your son were cleaning it, and then what happened? Basically, there was a worn-out fabric layer uh, underneath, uh, which fell off, revealing a bundle of old papers, uh, which we couldn't decipher at first. But then it, it was uh, the game of views that it was a German script. Did you get to work straight away, or did you have a think about what you were going to do with them? We saw the envelopes, uh, we saw the stamp on it, and uh, we made a one plus one, so to speak. Uh, it was obvious that they were war letters, because the stamp um, bore the date 1941-42. Uh, uh, okay, and these were all written by the same man. What did you learn about him? Yes, um, this Friedrich Bauer uh, was stationed in Stalingrad. He was an anterofizier, which means uh, a non-commissioned officer with the German 6th Army. And he was writing home to his parents and uh, back to Vienna uh, from the site of the epic battles of World War II, uh, which was Stalingrad. Uh, and we, we, we tried to find out more because, as, as I stated, uh, we don't have knowledge of the German language. But you got somebody to translate them for you? Yes, yes. Uh, my son contacted a friend of his, uh, the academic Catherine Mohamed. And which is uh, a native German, 
and became the uh, they started on the translations of these letters. Friedrich wrote in a, a Latin script, which is readable, so to so to say. So he was so he was an artillery observer, and and in these letters he describes what he saw in vivid detail. He, in one letter he describes the Battle of Kharkov, when the German troops captured the city back in 1941. Uh, I recall that he describes that at night uh, he could see the firelight of the burning of factories uh, and the marches, which was agonizing for the men and horses. Uh, he even lost two horses. I know you described his, um, his he was a Unter officer, but does that mean he had he had a rank? He had soldiers beneath him? Yes, he was a, a non-commissioned officer, a sergeant something. But he's quite a young man. He was 29. 29 years when he died. Yes. So the faded letters are slowly being translated and more details are coming to light. He was very descriptive in his choice of words. For example, in one letter, he describes an, an exciting aerial battle of six bombers uh, drawing long smoke trails, plunging into the fields. In another, I recall that he explains how the Russians are defending their weapons position with tenacity and under the barrage of guns, uh, they stayed, the Red Army soldiers stayed in their holes uh, unless they were put out of action by direct hits. Eh? And, and it seems from what you said that the letters take on, you know, a more somber tone. Obviously, he didn't know he was going to die, but as the war goes on, you can feel his mood change. Am I correct? Yes, that's quite correct. Yes. And he also says in one letter, uh, out of respect for mother, he, I refrain from describing the battle in my letters so as not to cause more concern. Where are these letters now? I will be retaining these letters. Um, I think they should be turned into, into a book. Beautiful. And were you able to track down any of his family members or anyone who, who would want to know about these letters? Uh, at this stage, I have tried, but I think... Um, Maybe his family won't be that happy. I don't know. Do we have any idea how they ended up inside a statue? Somebody kept all of these letters, probably a family member. And then there's the question about why they felt the need to hide them. That's uh, quite a good question. Do you have any theories? Uh, my theory is maybe uh, they were afraid they'd be lost. Maybe. But we, we found it together with his verpas. And the verpas was usually given to his family when the when a soldier um, died in battle. And and one important uh, document, I call it document and not letter, was where his family tried to get his body back back in Austria, because he was from Austria. Uh, and the um, company commander informs his parents that his body can't be returned back home since Hitler had ordered the soldiers are to be buried where they fell. Uh, they lost him uh, in enemy territory. Maybe these letters would be a nice way to give them some closure, whoever they are. Maybe, yes, I agree. You did this project with your 15-year-old son, Leighton. Tell me what it was like to work together on this. Leighton has, has taken the mission of getting the letters translated himself. And he writes, he's trying to catalogue each and every letter. When he saw the letters, he took particular interest because he states, he stated, he correctly states, that uh, history is written from the, um, uh, the winner's point of view and not from the loser point of view, which makes a big difference. So 
uh, it's important to say that in one particular letter, uh, Friedrich Bauer mentions that he has he has nothing to do with the party and everything related to it. But in his eyes, the war with Russia was inevitable for the Reich because Stalin had occupied Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Do you know if they're valuable at all? Yes, they are valuable from the historical point of view because I have a signature from officers who were in Stalingrad. And Stalingrad uh, was one of the uh, epic battles of World War II, eh? and Hitler acknowledged the defeat, his defeat. Do you feel a connection with this man? Yes, um, and he made me live history from the German point of view. Thanks for listening today. Please take the time to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And if there's any topics you'd like us to investigate, feel free to contact us at the email address timestalk at timesofmalta.com. Goodbye.